the Bible. The word means book, basically. It's just a transliteration of a Greek word. The word holy means perfect or uh, complete. Therefore, we've got the perfect book. It's quite a title to just slap on a, a book. Oh, yeah, it's the perfect book. Uh, and it uh, is. It goes back. Moses started writing it in 1450 B.C. It was finished in about 70 A.D. It has 40 different authors who contributed to it. You've got generals and kings and politicians and tent makers and fishermen and doctors and lawyers and slaves. It was written in three different languages on three different continents. And the amazing thing is they deal with all kinds of controversial stuff. They deal with things like God and the afterlife and purpose and meaning in life. You could imagine with all the different people writing this, there'd be all kinds of different opinions. But there's an incredible continuity there. Uh, the, the Bible was first translated into English in 1374. It was the very first book off of the, the printing press. The very first book printed was the Bible. And every single year since then, it's been the best seller there's only one year that it wasn't. I've got to let you know this. Hitler's biography, Mein Kampf, came out, and people were thinking he was the Antichrist. And so in that year, it sold over the Bible. But other than that, the Bible has been distributed more than any Bible. You know, there's a lot of Bible societies, but the Gideons alone, last year, distributed almost 80 million copies of the Bible. The Bible is number one on the list of translated languages. It's been translated into approximately 2,400 languages. Now, just to give you some scope on this, number two on the list, it's been translated into 250 languages. Anyone want to guess what book number two is? Now, Pinocchio. (laughs) Pinocchio, I don't know why, but somehow Pinocchio makes it onto the list. It does pretty good. The Koran, only 110, but the Bible has is, is been around, and I've got it in my office this morning. I've got about 20 versions of it, or 20 different copies of it on my shelves. And if you've grown up in the church, you might be thinking, you know, how could anything that is that common be that big of a deal? And if, in fact, maybe you're new to church, or basically not really, you don't have to be new to church to just live in this world. Maybe you've read uh, the Da Vinci Code. Maybe you've seen the National Geographic specials. Maybe you've had an English teacher, literature teacher who wasn't real kindly inclined towards the Bible in your uh, classes at school. Uh, maybe you've heard some of the commentators. And, and you, you start wondering, you know, it's, it's just an old book. And there's inconsistencies and there's contradictions and there's this oral tradition thing. And by the time it really, it really didn't happen. And, and uh, why should I put any stock in it? And that's the kind of environment we live in. And so what we've decided to do for the next three weeks is we're going to basically do a Bible booster shot. We're going to look at the Bible. We're going to ask those questions sincerely. And so if you've you've got the uh, uh, credibility of the Bible questions, you want to be here next week because we're really going to dig into that next week. But this week we want to look specifically on the purpose of the Bible. And so I want to teach you, I'm not going to teach you, I want to lead you in a, a, a song this morning. And you're going to quickly realize why I'm not in a choir. Uh, and this is, a, this is an ecclesiological classic. It was my favorite hymn growing up as a kid. And so if you know it, I need you to sing with me. You can incorporate the hand motions. That would be helpful. But it's, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. 
The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down, right? The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. But the house on the rock stood firm. Now, now, if you're visiting with us today, you're probably looking for the nearest exit, wondering what you got, you got into this morning. Just, just humor us for a little bit. We're kind of reliving some childhood Sunday school experiences. Second verse, okay? The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came tumbling down and the rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up. The rains came down as the floods came up and the house on the sand. It went splat. Yeah, it fell apart. But call the insurance company. Bad situation. You know, I like that song. That's a great song. Besides the fact that it's got cool hand motions. How many, how many contemporary songs give you cool hand motions like that? Besides the fact that it's got a snappy tune. It has got some philosophical and theological accuracy there in a major, major way. The song talks of foundations. It talks of storms. You know, we are entering into the springtime at Erie. First one I've experienced. I'm assuming it's better than winter. Please don't tell me if that's not the case. But springtime, you know, brings warm weather and flowers and hay fever and all those things. But it also can bring some dangerous stuff. My mom lives about an hour and a half outside of uh, Memphis, almost in Tornado Alley. And uh, the springtime can bring some pretty intense storms down there. Several years ago, a tornado struck Andover, Kansas, wiped out 84 frame homes, 14 businesses, and then it turned into a trailer park. 223 mobile homes destroyed. When it was all done, 13 people died. All of them lived in the trailer park. And it's not that tornadoes are kind of like attracted to mobile home parks. That's what it looks like from the news, doesn't it? it there's no magnetic appeal there. But the problem with, with, with mobile homes is that they're mobile. You know, they're, nothing, they're not tied down. There's no foundation. They're not anchored. And a mobile home can be a great place to live. I mean, you've seen some of these mobile homes today. They're fantastic. The amenities, and they're, they're, they're just very nice when the sun is shining, right? Or when it's just drizzling a little bit. Or when it's just a little overcast. But you don't want to be in one in a major windstorm. You just don't because it's dangerous. It's just straight up dangerous. Now, now the, the, the text we're talking about this morning, we just kind of sang about it. It's a uh, warning. And Jesus gives lots of warnings. He gives all kinds of stuff. And to those people who would elevate their own view of life above his word, he gives warnings against that. We would expect that. Yay, Jesus, way to go. But some of his most strictest warnings are reserved for church people. People who avail themselves to his teaching. That's, that's a, a scary thing because that would obviously include all of us. Now, you need to know something where I'm coming from this morning. I grew up in a very solid Bible-believing church, very conservative church. I grew up in uh, Sunday school. I was doing this kind of stuff that the kids were doing this morning. I'm saying my verses. I grew up in Awana. I got the Timothy Award. I spent my high school years in Bible quiz, a couple hours a day, memorizing old passages, major books of Scripture. 
went to several Bible colleges. I've led myriads of Bible studies. I am for Bible studies, so nobody please leave here saying, Pastor Mark doesn't believe in Bible study. Yes, I do believe in Bible study. However, if your heritage is like mine, we have a propensity, a danger here that Jesus says, where we can take our Bible study and our memorization and turn it into an end in itself. You know what I'm saying? Went to church. Yep, check. Had quiet time this morning. Yep, check. Done. I'm done. Move on with the rest of the day. Had my Bible study. Yep, it's over with. Check. Down. What's next? And we've, we've turned the Word of God into an end in itself. But the Bible's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It's, it's like the uh, windshield in your car. You know, if you drive down the street staring at your windshield, you're probably going to end up in the ditch. The windshield's goal is not for you to look at it. It's for you to see clearly. The Bible's goal is for us not to know it, but to show it. Not just to know it, but to show it. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan is quoting Deuteronomy to Jesus. Now, I don't know how many passages in Deuteronomy you have memorized, but is it possible that Satan's got more scripture memorized than you do? I don't know if I'd call him godly. Knowing God's word It's not the same as showing God's word. We think sometimes the more I know, the more spiritually mature I am. And the more I know, the more godly I am. But the Bible itself never equates Bible knowledge with spiritual maturity, ever. And so we've got a danger. And that's what Jesus is telling us. That we've got a danger in thinking that knowing it equals godliness. And today, what we'll see in the text is Jesus is saying, if you just know it, Good possibility you've got a mobile home faith, a faith that might look good, might be comfortable, might be able to weather some, some light rains and all that. But you know, in the final analysis, it's just not going to stand. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Jesus is closing down the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Beginning in verse 24, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, as we look at this, just notice some comparisons between these two characters, okay? They've got some similarities. First of all, we notice that these guys had the same goal, right? They both desired to build. It says it for both people, that they desired to build their house. And they weren't just builder wannabes. They actually did it. They put energy into building their house. Now, the house can be a household, family. Most probably, it's building their life. Remember when you were 20? If you're 20, you know what I'm talking about. As you look forward into life, there was a lot of potential and excitement. And you were going to build your life. And you kind of had the plan. And you were going to be exciting. And these guys decided they wanted to build their life, like most of us. And they went about doing it. And they both accomplished it. They were building their life. So similarities. They had the same goal. Another similarity. Number two. They, they went to the same church. Now make sure you understand this. 
Both of these folk went to the church. They weren't in a liberal church. Oh, no. Jesus was the pastor at this church. Both of them availed themselves to the words of Jesus. We're not talking about someone who goes to FAC. They've never missed a Sunday in 200 years. And some pagan person who's sleeping in Sunday morning, sleeping off his hangover from partying the night before. That's not what he's talking about. It's not a real solid, dedicated Christian and, and an atheist. No, 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 no. Both of these guys go to church. Both of these guys maybe go to Bible study. Maybe they both lead the Bible study. And they go to the same church. Also, you need to look at the similarity in the fact that they both experience the same storm. So that means they live in the same neighborhood. The words are the same as far as the storm that hit them. One person didn't live in Tornado Alley, and the other one live out in the desert. Oh, no, no. They had the same storm that hit their house. They're, you know, we get the impression sometimes, or maybe it's communicated, that if you're a Christian, storm-free life. You know, mostly storm-free, maybe a little bit, but mostly storm-free life. But there are no storm-free zones, are there? Accidents and viruses and, and uh, terrible things happen. They just do. They do. There are no storm-free zones. And both of these guys' houses that they built, the lives they built, were subjected to the same type of storms. One didn't have it worse than the other. But there's some differences between these two as well, right? First difference we notice is this difference in character. Jesus says that the one man, the first guy, was a wise man. And the second guy was a foolish man. Now, in Scripture, wise has nothing right, to do with IQ. It has nothing to do with an Ivy League education. It has nothing to do with I'm into scientific research. None of that. And nothing to do with awards and prizes and accolades and opinion polls. No, 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 no. Wise, most often in Scripture, refers to this. Someone who hears the word of God, divine truth, and they're not happy with just hearing it. They want to see how it intersects with their life. And so they know it, but they put it in. They show it. How does this work in my life today? That's what wise means in the Bible. Now, the foolish person, again, foolish has nothing to do with intelligence. For all we know, the second guy got his Ph.D. from Harvard, right? The first guy, who knows? But the second guy could have had a bigger business, a nicer car in the driveway at his house. He could be more successful by the world's standards. He could be a nice guy. It doesn't say he's mean. He could be a nice guy, friendly, kind, a philanthropist of sorts. He could be. Foolish has nothing to do with those things. Foolish, according to Jesus in this text, and tell me if I'm, if I'm missing this here, is somebody who hears God's word. They do. They go to Bible study. Maybe they teach the Bible study. They hear it. They know it. But they're happy with that. They're not interested in pulling it over. They don't really think about pulling it over. They don't work on They work real hard on knowing it. They don't work hardly at all on making sure it's in their life. Jesus says to that person, fool. He says that if that's who you are, then there'll be a day when there'll be a storm that'll come up. No security. It's not safe. It's a faith that it's not, not going to cut it in the long run. These guys, because of their difference in character, at least the second difference, which is one in foundation, right? The wise man builds his house on the rock. The parallel passage in Luke lets us know that the guy dug deep. 
A lot of work in that. But he dug deep till he found bedrock before he put his, his footers for his house. Second guy, I'm guessing that he tried to use great quality. I'm supposing that he cared that his house that he was building his life, I and mean, who wants their life to crash? He didn't want it to crash. He probably built it well. Probably meant it to go well. That was his intention. That was his desire. Probably built it right. But it was on a flimsy foundation. 1174, the famous Italian architect, Bonanno Pisano. Very famous, right? We all know this guy. But we know what he did. We might not know him because he, was, uh, he entered into his most famous work. He was building the separate uh, tower, bell tower, for the cathedral in Pisa. And the problem is, he was building this in Pisa, which means marsh. He's building this thing in a swamp. And this was to be eight stories high. But the, the ground was much more loose and sandy than they had anticipated. And so they got about three stories up, and this thing already started laning. And so what they did is they decided to put a little more stone on the other side to kind of bend the other uh, stories the other direction to try to even things off. Well, the, the, the leaning tower of Pisa had leaned up to 18 feet until some bunch of engineers from all over the world got together and tried to fix it. Today, it still leans 14 feet, and it's still leaning a 20th of an inch each year. And unless there's intervention, sooner or later, what's going to happen to this thing? Gravity's going to kick in, and it's coming down. Because any tower, any building, any life that's built on a, not a firm foundation, not the right foundation, is going to fall. This is important because Jesus is saying just going to church, just getting into the Bible study. That can be a mobile home type of faith. Now, now keep my, hear me. We've got to know it before we can show it. And, and ignorance is not more noble than knowledge. Okay, that's not, we're, not, we're not advocating just blowing all that off. We have to know it. But that's only half the equation. It's only half the equation. So, so these guys, there are dissimilarities. Well, their character, their foundation, and then the result, right? Same storm came. One house made it. Now, it was beat against, it says. The storm maybe took off some shingles, but the house was able to stay. Second house, same storm. Leveled. Now, that's, what does this mean for us? Well, a couple things. First of all, I don't think it means that Jesus isn't telling us storms come up in life. I mean, duh. We, we know that. We don't, we don't need Jesus to let us know that storms come up in life. Oh, good. I didn't know that. Well, you live any amount of time, you know that that's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm not sure Jesus is saying here that if you, build your, if you don't build your life reflecting on God's word, your life's just going to topple when you hit a storm. Because I know some folk, maybe you do too, who don't care about God's word, that they've They've weathered some pretty intense storms. But looking at the context of the Sermon on the Mount, knowing Jesus, it looks like the storm that he's talking about is the end judgment. And what he's saying is, is you might build your life and it may look good and it may be big, and, but one day you're going to hit a storm, a judgment, and it's not going to stand. It's not going to be secure and you're not going to be able to say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we eat with you? Wasn't I, I, I with you? Didn't I listen to you? Didn't I wasn't with you in the streets? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because you were content to know, not show. This is a, a stringent warning to, to us, to me, isn't it? 
That's one we've got to take it to heart because Jesus cares enough for us to share this, share this with us. You might say, well, okay, how, how do I, I, I want to be one who just doesn't know what I want to be able to show it. How do I, listen, let me share something with you that has made more difference in my own time with the Lord and in my sermon preparation than any other principle that I ever picked up. It's, 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 uh, it was very helpful for me. First of all, I would say on your way home, pick up a spiral notebook. Stop at the Walmart or wherever you need to and pick up a spiral notebook. Yes, you'll need to invest a couple of bucks in your spiritual life. Go for it. And then as you, you spend time in God's word, keep in mind that the numbers, the big numbers and the little numbers weren't added until later. Uh, what you want to do is you want to find a, they call it a pericope, a literary passage, a unit. So in other words, if you're looking at the story of David and Goliath, that could be several chapters. Otherwise, it might be just a single verse. It might just be a paragraph. Just use your common sense. You can pull that off. And as you look at it, you want to ask yourself two questions because every single passage of Scripture, now not, not say every single verse, every, every single literary unit rotates on these two, two questions. Okay? First one is, first question you want to ask, you're going to write in your, your spiral notebook, what is the, we call it the depravity factor? Second Timothy lets us know that every single passage of Scripture was, was given to us to teach us or rebuke us, to correct us or train us. In other words, there's something that you and I as fallen creatures aren't seeing straight. We've got a propensity to go this way. Meanwhile, God is saying go this way. And as we get in his word, it kind of straightens up our perspective. And so what you want to write down when you look at the passages, what is the depravity factor? Where can I easily fall here? What's this passage saying I can easily trip over? Write it down. And the second, second question is what is the divine factor? Because every single passage, literary unit of scripture tells us something about God. And so you write that down. And you don't want to stop there because all that does is get, get you in the know. But that's only half of it, right? We've got to get to the show. And so the third question is, how does this apply to my life today? What is the personal factor? And let me give you an example. Ephesians 5:25. husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. First of all, that text applies to singles. It applies to women. But let's, let's hold on that for right now. I mean, every passage is for everybody. But as a man, as a, as a husband, I'm reading this passage. I'm looking at it. Huh. Okay. I don't need to go a whole lot farther. I write down what's the depravity factor here. Well, I'm assuming if God said this, then I probably have a propensity to not love my wife the way Christ loved the church. Yeah, I can see that. Sometimes we love our wives in order to get something. Sometimes we love them to get them off our back. Sometimes we love them to make other people think that I'm such a good husband. Selfish. Don't really love her the way Christ loved the church. Okay, what's the divine factor? Well, Jesus loved us so much that he, he gave everything for us while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, right? While we hated him. He couldn't blame it on us. It was she definitely cheated. No, 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 no. Regardless, you love selfishly. Okay, personal application, right? Personal. You can't just say, be kind to my wife. No, nah, it doesn't work. What should I do today to bring this passage from the no into the show? Well, Maybe what I should do today is I should be home on time when I said I'm going to be home. Maybe I need to cut time out of the office. Maybe I need to give her the night off. Maybe I need to help with, with the home and with the, the, the kids more than I do. But write it, be specific. And now what you're doing is you're taking the no to the show. Another passage. This is a little bit more difficult when we hit the, the narrative passages of Scripture. Right? The stories. 
John chapter 4, Jesus and the woman at the well. You know the story. Jesus is hanging out at the well in Samaria. All of his disciples are at the giant eagle, you know, buying groceries, trying to find food. And Jesus is there by himself. And all of a sudden, this woman shows up. And she's a Samaritan, which the Jews hate. And vice versa is the feeling. And not only that, the narrator tells us. We're not thinking that Jesus knows this, but the narrator tells us that she's been married five times. And the guy she's living with now, she's not married to. And in this culture... That, I mean, that's, that's massively anathema in this culture. Huge, huge, huge. And so this gal shows up at the well. She's talking to Jesus. They start this con- Jesus starts this conversation. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, go, why don't you go call your husband? Because I want to talk to both of you all about this. And she says, all right, oh, I don't have a husband. And he says, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. You've had five. And the guy you're living with right now, you're not even married to, right? And suddenly she realizes that she's talking to somebody a little bit more than just a wise man here. And when she leaves that day, she's experienced God's grace, his forgiveness, his belief in in, in who he created in her. So you you write down, okay, what's the depravity factor in this, this story? You might have several. One might be this. As fallen humans, a propensity we have is to try to find our significance in relationships. Might bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship, find out which one is best. And oh, that one didn't didn't cut it. Let's, let's go find another one. Maybe we don't do that physically, because physically we are true to our spouse, but we do it mentally. And we bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship, really seeking to find significance. It's a, it's a part of the fallen humanity. You can write that down. Divine factor. Well, if you look at the, the text. Jesus didn't grant a lot of one-on-one interviews to folk in this life. He mostly was his disciples. He had a big mass of people. But here, he carves out some substantial time for a woman, a Samaritan woman, an immoral Samaritan woman. And he loves her. He's got a message of grace to her. So maybe personal application, I could write down, is there someone in my life that I'm really struggling with internally? Somebody that I just think is a real idiot. Somebody that just gets under my skin. Somebody that i got nothing good to say about. Matter of fact, I've said nothing good about them. Somebody that I've just got thoughts of judgment. Say, do I have someone like that in my life? Write their name down. How would Jesus treat this person today? Maybe that's how I should treat this person today. And what you're doing, you're taking the Bible from being in the know, from knowing it to showing it. The the goal of the Bible is transformation. 1974, major TV series hit the the airwaves uh, based on a Marvel comic starring Bill Bixby. Does anybody know the name of it? The Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. Remember this. He's Dave Banner and he's working, he's a, he's a scientist and he's working in the lab and he exposes himself to some gamma radiation. And, and uh, his life is going fine until he gets very emotional, right? He gets angry or he gets scared or something. What happens? Well, he, he transforms into this seven foot tall, 330 pound green. He busts all of his clothes. Now, I don't know how he gets new clothes every time. They don't show you that part, but he just gets, he transforms. He, he goes through a metamorphosis in Romans 12. Two, it says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. The word it uses, metamorphosis. Be changed. Hug out. You know, change. And the way you change, how do you change? By the renewing of your mind. The way he, he doesn't want us to just know it. He wants us to change. He wants us to show it. And the way we're going to do that is by filling our mind, by filling our life with his word. 
that's how that will, transformation will take place. Now, you, 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 you might be in a place where, you know, the whole personal time alone, Bible study, you just have never really got. You've always had it on the to-do list, maybe, but it's just never gotten there. Or the few times you've tried it, it just didn't work. Maybe you weren't sure where to start. It just wasn't happening for you. What we've got today on your way out in, in the, the, the foyer, Narthex, both up and lower, we've got baskets filled with the daily bread. I don't know if you're familiar with this. This is a great little piece. If, you, if you're not, if you're just, you're doing this and you're, you're, you're not doing the daily bread, but you're trying to do devotions, but you're just, it's just not working for you. Your mind's going in different places. Change things up a little bit. Let me encourage you. Grab one of these things on your way out. We've got one for everybody if you want one. And, and what you do is you take, go to the page that's listed for today. It lives, gives you a scripture verse or a little passage. You read it. And then it's just got a one page commentary. I think the whole thing will take you max 15 minutes. And that's if you think about it. And what it does is it shows you how to take it from how to know it and then how to show it. So you, you do this and then you, then you take a few minutes to pray. And this is what you say. I mean, pray about all those things that you need to pray about. But do that later on in the day here. Just just do this. God, would you help me to internalize your word and live out this principle today? And I would encourage as we get going in the series throughout this series if you've already got something else going on, wonderful, keep doing it. But if you don't, would you take one of these and just commit to every day for the next three weeks anyway, 15 minutes only, morning, night. If you miss a day, oh, well, blow it off, ask forgiveness, and just keep on going. That, that, would, that would be wonderful because what you're starting to do is you're starting to develop a pattern of being in God's Word, of taking it from the know to the show. Now, let me ask you for just a second, because we started this, this way a little bit this morning. Do you have a mobile home faith? And one way to ask, you know, to try to determine that is let me ask you this. If people closest to you started to survey your life and they would talk to me about you without you in the room, would they say that you have grown in patience this year? Would they say that you are more generous this year than you were last year? Would they say that you really exemplify joy more so than you did the year before? Or more peace. Now, that's the... Or would they just say, he or she knows a lot. And that, that, that tells us if we're just in the know or if we're in, in the show. So let's, let's keep that as our goal, especially as we go through this, this series of the next several weeks. If you'd make that your prayer, I think God's a prayer God wants to answer. Pray with me on that. Lord, I'm very grateful for the teachers that you've provided me over the years. The Jeff Walkers and the Marvin Woods and the Dan Norwoods, the people who've studied and who've trained and who've taught and who lived out and who've modeled and tried to teach that I need to show it, not just know it. And God, that is our desire. And so I pray that you would show us wonderful things from your law. And then, God, it would be easy for me to say, then would you just zap us and help us to do it. But you put that ball in our court. And, God, would you give creativity? Would you remind and help us, help me, Lord, to dig hard and put as much energy into showing it 
as we do into knowing it. That if anybody was to follow us around recording our motivation and our thoughts and our actions, public and private, they would be recording your word. Boy, I want that to be so, God. And I would ask that you would remind me and my brothers and sisters this week, in this series even, and maybe even until we see you face to face, to have that type of a commitment, that type of an understanding, that type of a value on, on your word. We pray, God, that uh, we don't want to just take it for granted, but we pray that you'd go with us now. You would remind us that this day as we go into our worlds of the words that we heard that your Holy Spirit would teach us and show us and bring back to our, our minds throughout this week that we might be sanctified, that we might reflect Christ more, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.